Psalm 67, starting with verse 1. Hear now the word of God. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And let's pray asking the Lord to teach us from his word tonight. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have not left us in darkness, but you have shown to us your perfect revelation. We pray that as we consider these words, the holy words of Scripture, you would give us guidance and insight that we might know how to live for you and how to conduct ourselves in this present age. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I've already told you about how much the Schultz clan loves Thanksgiving. It's a joyous event in our household. And American history is filled with Thanksgiving expressions, formal expressions of thanks to Almighty God. Many times in the Old Testament, we find thanksgivings to the Lord. And here in Psalm 67, we find a blessing-rich passage of Scripture talking about the bounty of God and the blessing to the nations. It is a psalm that emphasizes God's blessing and salvation and thanksgiving and missions. It's one of the great missionary psalms, and indeed, in our psalm book, it is set to a famous mission tune. Let me work through this psalm with you. First, we see a prayer for salvation. Verse 1, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. In the second verse, we're told about his salvation extending among all nations. The first emphasis is upon salvation indeed, a request that God would be merciful to us. And a request for mercy is one made from a sinful people who needs the mercy of a forgiving God. There's a request for mercy, for God's blessing, and a request for God's shining face, that the face of God would shine upon us. Now, there's similarities between Psalm 67.1 and the great Aaronic blessing of Numbers 6. And let me read that for you. It's a famous benedictory passage of Scripture, Numbers 6, verses 22 through 27. I've heard it said that it is the most 
frequently cited passage in Scripture because in many churches it is the benedictory note that's given at the conclusion of every service. Numbers 6, verse 22, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Now notice the number of things that are mentioned here. This is the way you're going to bless Israel and place the name of Jehovah upon them. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you or protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. I mentioned that at our Thanksgiving celebration, we had 21 grandchildren, and I was in full face-shining mode. A little child would be there, and I would pat the little child on the head and say, what a wonderful grandchild, and my face would beam. The shining face is a face full of favor and affection. Sometimes the parents would have a grimacing face or a glowering face, but grandpa typically had a shining face, a face full of favor for that little one. The same notion is mentioned in verse 26 or repeated there, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, which is the exact opposite of a fallen countenance, which means you're unhappy. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May God be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. All wonderful things, all blessing-rich things in this benedictory note. Now compare that to Psalm 67. Many similarities, some differences. Psalm 67.1 is much shorter, but you'll notice first a request that God be merciful. I've heard it expressed that mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that has oftentimes stuck with me and I'm not sure I can improve too much on that simple definition when God extends to us mercy He does not repay us for the sins that we are guilty of. And when God gives to us grace, he gives to us what we don't deserve. Listen to the language of Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, we find a reference to God's mercy. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And so we're sinners, we're mortal. If the Lord tarries, we will die. If the Lord left us in our sins, we would have no hope. But the psalm tells us the Lord is mercy. He's abounding in mercy. He's gracious. He takes our sins away from us, and he is merciful to us, and his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And so Psalm 67, 1 begins, God, be merciful to us. Bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. If you want a theme of God's face shining on his people, look at Psalm 8. There are many places in Scripture where we find this language, but it is repeated in Psalm 80. In Psalm 80, verse 3, Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Psalm 80, verse 7, Restore us, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. Psalm 80, verse 19, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. And so the psalm begins with the reference to our salvation, specifically this language of God's mercy and His shining face. And when I think about the shining face of God, I think about the episode where Moses meets with God. And you might remember this story. Moses says, let me see your goodness. And the Lord says, you can't see my face. You can't see my goodness. You just be destroyed. But I'll set you here off to the side and we'll pass by and as the Lord passes by, there's a proclamation of the character of God. There's an emphasis upon His mercy and an emphasis upon His grace. And afterwards, Moses goes down to see the children of Israel, and they can't bear it because the reflected glory of God makes the face of Moses to shine. And so they ask him to put a veil over his face so that the glory isn't quite as great. The Apostle Paul returns to that theme in 2 Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about this as kind of an allegory of the power of God, the power of the gospel. He does that in 2 Corinthians 3, and he continues it in 2 Corinthians 4. Let me read for you. 
2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so in Psalm 67, when we say, make his face to shine upon us, it reminds us of a gospel promise about the glory of Christ and how the gospel shines in our hearts and shines in our lives, and that's how we are saved. A prayer for salvation, second, Psalm 67, 2, offers a prayer for missions, that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. There's a prayer here that God's way would be known on earth, his salvation amongst the nations or people. The ends of this prayer is that the nations of earth would fear him in verse 8. There is an emphasis here upon the peoples of earth acknowledging God. Psalm 67 has a missionary impulse. The blessing and salvation of God, verse 1, is not for Israel alone, but it is for the nations of the earth. In Numbers 6.27, the Aaronic blessing was for the children of Israel, but here we find it expanded with the blessings of God upon all of the nations. One of the earliest gospel promises in the book of Genesis, Genesis 12, verse 3, Abraham heard that in you, and that is through Christ or in Christ, all the families of earth shall be blessed. Now that's a gospel promise or a Christ-centered promise. In Galatians 3, Paul says that Abraham here heard the gospel preached or heard the pre-gospel preached as well as a reference to the justification of Gentiles by faith. When Abraham heard this promise that in him the families of earth shall be blessed, there is a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. And this theme resounds through Genesis. We find it in Genesis 12.3, in Genesis 18.18, in Genesis 22.18, in Genesis 26, verse 4, over and over again a reference to Christ and the blessing on the nations through Abraham. In other words, if you're reading the Bible and think that the Old Testament is just for the Jews, then you have missed an important point because the Scripture clearly teaches that the nations will be blessed as well. Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all the nations. 
even to the point that the peoples, verse 3, should praise you, let all the peoples praise you. This theme of Scripture is repeated constantly. Uh, let me read for you from 1 Kings 8. This is a prayer of Solomon. 1 Kings 8, starting with verse 41. Solomon has a great dedicatory prayer of the temple. And he says, 1 Kings 8, 41, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a country far away for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes to pray towards this temple, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Notice the evangelistic or missional prayer of Solomon that all the nations of earth will know you just as Israel does. Verse 60, 1 Kings 8, verse 60, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Ann and I were in Israel a number of years ago with a trip with the university, and it was great. It was just a wonderful trip. We frequently talk about the things that we saw and experienced. And the tour of the temple and the archaeological digs at the base of the temple were really impressive. And the tour guide took us to the west wall and said we could look around. And somebody asked if it was okay to go up to the wall to pray. And the tour guide said, oh yes, Solomon said that when people come from far away, they are welcome to go and pray here at this temple spot. And then he said, go and pray. Solomon invites you to do that. What a great prayer of dedication. And it reminds us of Psalm 67, that the Lord desires that his salvation be known to all nations. Or listen to Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a psalm of Solomon, or a psalm for Solomon. Psalm 72, the conclusion of it, verses 17 through 19. Psalm 72, verse 17. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him and all nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And so this psalm closes with a reference to all nations calling him blessed, consistent with the promise to Abraham. 
in Psalm 117, which we read this morning, uh, this evening in our call to worship, it begins by saying, praise the Lord, you Gentiles. And so the call to worship is specifically to the peoples and to the nations, you Gentiles, praise the Lord. Some of you might remember the prayer of Simeon in Luke 2. Christ child is brought to the temple. And Simeon, this righteous man, this godly man, a prophet of God, says upon seeing the Christ child, my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so first, a prayer for salvation. Second, a prayer for missions. Third, the nations shall praise the Lord, verses 3 through 5. Now listen to the repetition here to underscore the meaning. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So it's as if the psalm wants to make sure that you don't leave anybody out. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations praise you. The peoples praise you. And all the peoples praise you. There's an emphasis upon the universal worship of God. This psalm, Psalm 67, was to be sung. It is supposed to be accompanied by stringed instruments. It's a psalm or a song, and it's a song of worship. All the peoples are to praise God. We find references to praising God and worshiping God throughout Scripture. We find it here in the Old Testament. We find references in the New Testament. Let me share some examples from the book of the Revelation. There are so many examples of the worship of our God there and the things attested to about our God. And so in Revelation 4, we read that they do not rest day or night, saying, Revelation 4, 8, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And there's a reference there to the holy character of God and to the eternal character of God, the one who was and is and is to come. Verse 11 of Revelation 4, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. There is an emphasis upon the creative power of God who made all things and who cast the universe into being and sustains it by his power. Revelation 5, verse 9, 
we're told that they sang a new song, You Are Worthy to Take the Scroll and to Open Its Seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. There is a specific reference to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ who died and whose blood was shed to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Verse 11, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, there's a reference here to the power and dominion of God, blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. <clears throat> In Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4, we find a further reference to the worship of God's people. Revelation 15, 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested." a reference to the rule of our God and His dominion and how that brings the praise of the peoples. In Psalm 67, verses 3 through 5, there is a promise or a prediction that the nations shall praise the Lord. And there are so many things for us to worship the Lord, but central to our worship is our reminder that our God has made all things, that our God rules over all things, and the Lord has purchased us and redeemed us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Fourth, fourth in Psalm 67, we are told that God will rule the nations. Psalm 67, verse 4 Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Now, sometimes we think that if God's in charge, there's going to be no more goofing around. He's going to crack the whip, and I suppose there's an element of truth to that. But in Psalm 67, 4, you don't sense any apprehension about the rule of God. Indeed, we're told the nations will be glad and sing for joy, for he will judge righteously and govern the nations of the earth. We live in a time when we can see all kinds of ways of improvement in government. We can think of all kinds of ways where rulers should be doing better or doing differently. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see the righteous rule of Christ, the righteous rule of our Savior? Indeed, over and over again, Scripture reminds us that this 
will happen. Now, we might have questions about how he will rule and when his rule will commence, but certainly the dominion of the Lord is a cause for celebration. Look at Psalm 72, in many ways the parallel psalm, Psalm 72, starting with verse 8. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings will fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And so here in this Messianic psalm, there's a reference to the dominion of Christ. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9 is a well-known Christmas passage, I guess. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with justice and judgment from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the most cited Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And over and over again in the New Testament, there's reference to this passage, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Micah 4. Micah 4, starting with verse 1. Now, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. And we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion the law will go forth in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations far off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up nation against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, 
for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now, this passage, this prophecy in Micah 4 is very similar to what we read in Isaiah 2. The nations going to Mount Zion, the mountain of the Lord. The nations seeking God's way and His law. God judging the peoples and peace. And then this reference in verse 4, everyone shall sit under his own vine and fig tree. There's no one to make them afraid. Many of the founding fathers really liked Micah 4, 4. And you'll find them quoting this verse. There's something in there, I guess, about private property. You know, your, your own fig tree, your own vine. There's something there about bounty and flourishing, that there's produce and productivity all about you, and no one to make you afraid. No nasty British tax collector, nothing like that. Everyone under the Lord's rule will sit beneath his own tree next to his vine, and no one makes you afraid. And then the conviction at the conclusion of Micah 4.4 that we will walk in the name of Jehovah our God. Now you say, well, that's really nice, but it seems like a long way off. It seems like the tax collector's there and the government will say, well, maybe you shouldn't plant that tree there and there's um, zoning rules and all kinds of things. Oh, were it so, but it's a long ways away. And maybe we're just in a Deuteronomy 4 situation. One more passage, this from Deuteronomy 4. It's one for different reasons that I I really like. Deuteronomy 4, starting with verse 6. Therefore, be careful to observe them, God's word, God's commandments, For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments are in all this law which I have set before you this day. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Now there's a number of things here in Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 9. The Lord has given his commandments. And the expectation is that people will look at the commandments of God and say, well, this is great stuff. We're just pagans. We've got stupid pagan laws. Look at the wonderful precepts the children of Israel have. Look at the good and righteous laws that they have. We have some stupid idol with dumb laws. Think of what the children of Israel have, and their God is so close to them to answer them, and their laws are good ones. So don't forget them, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. 
So in the midst of patting the little ones on the head and smiling down on them, I guess I have an obligation to teach them the precepts of the law of God so that they will know how the children of God are different than, than the silly pagans out there. Finally, my seventh point from, or my fifth point from Psalm 67 is that there is a promise of the blessings of God. Verses 6 and 7. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, blesses, bless us. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us that all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Here's a reference to the earth yielding her increase. And that's a promising sign of productivity and flourishing. It's very different than what we might expect in a fallen world, a world governed by the curse, one where thorns and thistles abound, Genesis 3.18. I heard a Christian economist once say that in a fallen world, scarcity is a basic fact of economic life. Scarcity means that there isn't enough goods and services to go around. In a fallen world, in a world with the curse, scarcity is an ever-present economic reality. And it's a good thing because you do not want fallen men to be immortal with unlimited resources. In a fallen world, scarcity is a good thing because it means that people have to cooperate and people have to get along. We have a fallen world, but there is a promise that things might get better. The earth shall yield her increase. In Psalm 72, verse 16, we read, there will be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the top of the mountains, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass in the earth, a promise of bounty, a promise of abundance. When we were in Israel, our tour guide quoted from Mark Twain, who took a trip to Palestine, hundred-some years ago. And he talked about how it was just a, a howling wasteland, and it's an arid climate, and if you don't look after things, things fall apart. It was just awful. And then there was a contrast made to the productivity of the land today. And I had that in the back of my mind, and we were traveling around someplace uh, close to Galilee, I guess. And I said, hey, what are those things over there? And the guy said, bananas. I said, there's bananas in Israel? Oh, yes. Uh, we grow lots of bananas here. It's a, a big crop. I didn't know that. Even bananas are grown in Israel now. Oh, the earth will yield its produce. And think about the blessings of God when he pours out his blessing upon the land and causes things to flourish. But the point is, is that God doesn't do this just to give us bounty and just to give us good things, 
But in verse 7, God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. That the blessing of God and the bounty of God will be an instrument in making people recognize the sovereign power and goodness and mercy of the Lord God. Now let me close with a few lessons from our passage. First, thank God for his blessings. We enjoy an amazing abundance. We should cultivate thankful hearts. We should thank the Lord for everything at all times, giving thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5.20, and pray for God's goodness and blessing. Thank God for his bounty for your blessings. Second, thank God for your salvation. Our psalm begins with God be merciful to us. God cause his face to shine upon us. May God's salvation go out to all the nations, and that's all of us here, I suspect, people from the nations who have seen the good news of the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. Thank God for your salvation. Praise him for his mercy. Ask that his face would continue to shine upon us through Jesus Christ, or in the words of the psalmist, restore us, O God, cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Our salvation depends on God's sovereign mercy, and so if you are a Christian, you should thank God for the salvation that we have by grace through faith. And if you are not a Christian, then you should pray for the mercy of God that he would stir up your heart, that you might cling to the promises of the gospel in Jesus Christ, the promises made by a loving and kind and merciful God. And third, pray for the conversion of the nations. Psalm 67 has a strong missionary motif. Your salvation among all the nations let all the peoples praise you. Let all the nations be glad. You're going to govern the nations of earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O Lord. May the ends of the earth fear him. The Great Commission calls us to go to the all nations. The Great Commission calls us to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we are told, that the ends of the earth shall fear him. John Calvin says that Psalm 67 is a prayer of the ancient church for the appearance of the Messiah and the universal diffusion of the gospel. And so it is our desire to see the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ flourish to the remotest ends of the earth that people would learn the mercy of God and cling to their Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the word of the gospel. We're thankful for this psalm. We're thankful for the promises that we have in your word. We pray that you'd help us to be thankful for the blessings you've given. Help us to rejoice in the salvation that is ours through grace. 
because of Christ, through faith. We pray that you would bring the nations to Christ. We're thankful that he has been exalted. We're thankful that he is at your right hand. We long to see all of his enemies subdued and the nations brought into submission to Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in closing to Psalm 72. Let's stand together as we sing from the Maroon Psalm book, Psalm 72C. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>